So today, we entered into the Feast of Tabernacles over the weekend. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to unpack what it means to tabernacle. And I entitled today's message, An Invitation to Tabernacle. Tabernacle is not a word that we really use, but it's a place of dwelling. And we have to go through the gate into a deeper abiding with the Lord. How many of you want a deeper place of abiding? And it's not just about us abiding individually, but us abiding corporately. Historically, the church has been so focused on our individual abiding that we've missed that we abide together. And so we've only had a measure of victory because we've looked at our own personal abiding, which is important. But until we get over our individuality being the king, come on, we, we live with an individualistic mindset that it's all about me. And in this country, we really do it. Everything is about me. McDonald's, Burger King, life. Let me have it my way. And when somebody ruffles your feathers and you don't get it your way, we tend to have a little bit of attitude. True? Okay. So God's inviting us to come and tabernacle together. And just as a backdrop, we'll read out of Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 through 15, where this was the command of the Lord through Moses, and it stands forever that we are to tabernacle. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, and when you have gathered from your threshing floor and your wine press. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Threshing floor, the place where the ingathered wheat is separated wheat and chaff. Right now, we are in a threshing floor season. God is separating have you noticed he's putting his fingers and some things on the inside of us are getting pressed and he's saying, let go, let go, let go. Because when we let go of the chaff, then we're left with the kernel of wheat that is nutritious and is reproducible. Okay. Chaff is not reproducible. It has to be broken off. So we're in a season of a threshing floor. But it's also a season of a wine press. What do you know about a wine press? The grapes have to get crushed. Um, sounds fun, right? How many of you have been feeling a little crushed? Pressed. But what comes out of the crushing is the sweetness of the new wine. Again, there is a separation because... The skins have to be separated out so that you come up with just the pure juice, okay? So we're in this separation season, and we're going to see things over the coming weeks and months where there's going to be a separation that happens, and don't be afraid of the separations. Some separations have to happen. Not everything is forever. Chaff serves a purpose as the weed is growing. 
The, the grape skin serves a purpose for a season, but then it has to be crushed away. Is this making sense? Don't hold on to what God is saying let go of. Verse 14, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, where he chooses. I'm going to interject again. God chooses where we are to tabernacle with him in a corporate assembly. God chooses. American Christianity has been smorgasbord where you go from place to place to place to discern it, not discern, I'm going to rechange that word, where you choose what you want based on your likes and dislikes. That's not the kingdom. God chooses. God puts us in places where we can be family, where we can be fitly joined and knit together so that the life flow can come in and go out and so that the fullness of the Spirit of God can be made manifest in the tabernacle as we dwell together. It's His choosing. And look there, He said it all the way back in Deuteronomy. He says, it's my choosing. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice. Celebrating tabernacles, pulling aside, saying, God, I, I want you to tabernacle with me, but I also choose to come tabernacle with you and reflect on what has been and look forward to what is to be is a part of the process where God says, if you will do this, I will bless everything going forward and there will be great rejoicing in your life. Who's in for that? I am. I want that. And then in Leviticus 23, 42 through 43, it says, You shall dwell in booths or tabernacles. Our kids are actually celebrating tabernacles this morning. I don't know if they built a tabernacle this year or not because I didn't walk down the hall. But what the Israelites would do is after they came out, they would build booths, a tabernacle, a tent, and they would dwell in it for seven days. Now, camping is not my idea of fun. <laughs> You know, going out and having a picnic under a tent, now that sounds fun. But camping, not so much. But they were to remember what God did in bringing them out in order to take them in. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations, here's the reason, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God. See, there are certain things that we need to do year after year so that those who come behind us know what God has done. We need to tell the stories. This was a tangible way of telling a story. We need to restore telling stories around the kitchen table. Telling stories when you're out and about with your family. Tell what God's done for you. 
testify of his healing grace, testify of his delivering grace. I don't know about you, but sometimes in religion, we've become so ashamed of what God delivered us out of that we never talk about it again. And we are denying the power of testimony to be deposited into our children and into our grandchildren so that they will see and know, oh, God did that for my grandma. God did that for my mom. If he did it for them, he'll do it for me. And the very power of testimony is saying, do it again, God. So I just decree over us, we've got an activation of testimony. Testify in your rising up. Testifying in your lying down. Testifying in your going out and your coming in. Revive the testimony. Revive the testimony in your own prayer closet. Testify of what God has done for you. Thank God for it. Remind the devil what God has done for you. Testify. When he comes to torment you, you go, aha, thank you. You just give me another reason to praise the Lord. Because listen to what he did for me. It'll shut him up in a hurry, I'll just tell you. So we are called to tabernacle with the Lord in the dwelling place of the Lord. I'm going to take us through a journey through the scriptures just real briefly on places God demonstrated his desire and his invitation for us to tabernacle. Number one, it's the dwelling place of the Lord in the midst of his people. And this is speaking of Moses' tabernacle. Now, I could go in and I could just camp out right here and teach the pattern out that we see in Moses' tabernacle of entering into his presence. Maybe we'll do that one Tuesday or something. But see, Moses, when he went up the mount of the Lord, he received the pattern for the building of the tabernacle. Whatever you are seeking to build, you must go up the mount of the Lord to hear God's pattern and build according to the pattern. Whatever you're building. When you're building your family, you need to have God's strategy for building your family. When you're building a business, you have to have God's strategy for building a business. We have to have a strategy for building CityGate. We have to have the blueprint. We've gotten to where we are based on the blueprints that we've had to this point. And I am constantly saying, God, what's the next phase of development? Because if I don't have the blueprint, I can't build to it. Moses' example is an example of this. And when Moses built, he saw what was in heaven. He saw the outer court. He saw the brazen altar and the bronze laver, the place where we come into an agreement with God as, as a living sacrifice. When we come into the place where we're being washed in the water of the word, then we move into that inner court, into the holy place where there's the lampstand and the Holy Spirit brings illumination into us. We need Holy Spirit illumination. Just for step out for just a second with me. If you go into the holy place without a lampstand, it is completely, utterly dark. You can see nothing. Layers and layers and layers of material with a heavy gate 
that can be flapped open. But I'm telling you, there's no light that comes in. So you have to have a lampstand. We must have the lampstand of Holy Spirit perpetually filled with the oil of the Spirit in us so that we continually burn with His revelation. This lampstand shines over on the table of showbread, which is the Word of God, so that we can have revelation into the Word. If you just read the Word without revelation of Holy Spirit, do you know what it is? Dry and bitter. How many people have you known that have said to you, I read the word, but eh, it means nothing. That's because they're missing the very light of revelation that causes the word of God to become life-giving and fragrant. Because the showbread was actually sprinkled with frankincense. Now, to taste, frankincense is very bitter, but to smell, it is incredibly sweet. So when you have the light of Holy Spirit over on the showbread, you receive the sweetness of the word. And out of that, you move to the altar of incense. And what is the incense? It's our praise and our prayers. Our praise and our prayers. And they lead us into the holy of holies. Now, the wonderful thing for us is that veil between the holy place and the holy of holies has been rent from top to bottom. You and I have access. There's no division. But that holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is, is the mercy seat. Where we obtain mercy day in and day out. Where we come into another place. I'm going to reveal, show you that this is not just the mercy seat, it's the throne of God. So in the tabernacle of Moses, God revealed to Moses, here is my pattern. I come to dwell among my people. It was a tent in the middle of the wilderness, set right in the middle of the tribes. The tribes were positioned all around, and they would watch because over the tabernacle was a cloud by day and a fire by night. And as long as the cloud and the fire stayed resting upon the tabernacle, that the Shekinah glory of God was resting, saturating, they stayed put. But when it lifted, they packed up and followed. See, we've got to learn how to watch the cloud and the fire. Because part of what happens with us is we get comfortable, we've camped out. We like where we are. Oh, the scenery is so beautiful here. I know what to expect when I walk in. I know the rhythm of the songs. Everything's working just to my liking. I like that song. Oh, I don't like that one. Oh, well, let's stay right here because I really like this. Come on, am I talking the way we really are? But see, when the cloud and the fire lifts, we've got to be willing to pack up our settling and move with him. And we have to move not right up on top of him, but leaving enough room to see where God's going so we move with him, not running ahead. See, we've got to move with where he is. It's part of what we go through on Sunday morning, even as leadership, is that we're watching for where is the cloud moving. 
When the cloud and the fire set on the gate and the glory beyond the gate this morning, we weren't going anywhere until he said, it's time to move. See, we've got to learn how to abide and watch what is happening. And then when he lifts, prepare to move. When he shifts the way you're doing stuff. For a long time, we met on Sunday evenings. And then one day, and in prayer and praying over Citygate, God said, it's time to shift to mornings. And I went, okay. (laughs) And I, I went through a process of intercession to be sure. Because what he had said at the beginning was, I want you meeting on Sunday evenings so that you break the religious expectations of the society around you. So when he said shift to mornings, I said, well, God, what about that? He said, oh, if anybody comes here, they know they're not going into the norm. I went, oh, okay. I wasn't quite sure whether to take that as a positive or a negative, but I choose to take it as a positive. See, we follow closely behind the glory. That means you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord at all times. And secondly, we move into the ruling out of Mount Zion as seen in the tabernacle of David. In a few weeks, we'll be doing a book release party for Bradley White on the restoration of the Tabernacle of David. So I'm not attempting to teach the Tabernacle of David, but I want to show you something was happening in this tabernacle and where God's inviting us to. David had a revelation that the Ark of the Covenant, once he recovered it from being captive with the Philistines, God gave David a revelation of what was coming through the cross. Because up to this point, no one could go into where the Ark of the Covenant was without the sacrifice, and they could only go in one day a year on the Day of Atonement, which was just last week, 10 days ago, or 12, okay? So you've got the Ark of the Covenant in a tent on top of Mount Zion with assigned minstrels, assigned priests, assigned worshipers, day in, day out, assigned scribes. They were all there, and they were around the Ark of the Covenant the throne of God. There was an expression of the government of God that moved in. The musicians, the psalmists, the scribes were there. They were ministering unto the Lord. See, part of how we move into the governing that God's called us to as the ecclesia is it has to be rooted and grounded in our ministering to him. If we ever tried to move into the governing without ministering to the Lord, we become like clanging cymbals. Because we're doing it out of our own thoughts, our own motivation, our own flesh, our own desires. And you develop this sound that is abrasive. But when it flows out of ministering to the Lord and when you begin just to get captured with the wonder and the splendor, the majesty, the glory, the power, the might of who he is. And then in that moment, he starts speaking. 
there is a sound and all of heaven breaks in on it. And what you declare and decree in that moment, heaven backs you up. You don't go on your own. See, in the tabernacle of David, we begin to see the manifestation of the dominion of the king. There's the revelation, the prophetic revelation that comes forth. So what God is saying is revealed. And then you see the psalmist, you see David, you see others that are proclaiming. In other words, they're praying and decreeing what has been revealed. See, when God gives you a revelation and that revelation becomes full in you, then you have the authority to release it as a declaration and decree. Now, there's a process between what you receive as revelation and you authentically releasing it as authority through your decrees. What is that process? It's coming to faith in what has come to you in faith. Does that make sense? See, God speaks things and faith comes. But then we have to work with that thing until we come into a oneness with it that when we speak what God has spoken, there is no disparity between what God has said and what's coming out of our mouth. Because in the spirit realm, if God said something and you're saying it, but there's no faith in it, there's a sound in the spirit and the devil knows it. God knows it, but the devil knows it. So what happens when you decree things that you know God said, but you've still got fear, doubt, and unbelief attached? Anybody done that? I know I have a whole bunch of times. And sometimes we just go for it. And I'm not, that's a part of our process. And you, you keep going and you keep saying, God said, God said, God said. And all of a sudden you shift and you've come into faith with it. And there is an authority that releases and the devil has to back up. And you get a breakthrough. So don't deny the process. I think the tabernacle of David, if we really go through and read the Psalms, and you see David crying out to the Lord... Right? Telling him all this junk that's going on in his life. My mother and father despise me. All the enemies are against me. I didn't do anything wrong and they're coming against me and condemning me. And he just goes on and he pours it all out to the Lord. Then in the midst of the psalm, God releases hope and faith to him. He releases truth to him about the reality of who he is. Therefore, the reality of who David is. But then what does David do? He goes back and he often recounts what's wrong again. But then he says, but you are my God. Okay? You are my God. See, he doesn't deny the reality of the mess he's in. But he hears God in his prayers. And as he wrestles through that, then suddenly... He comes into faith and then you begin to hear his imprecatory prayers and there's no fear, doubt, and unbelief. There's no apology for calling down the fire of God upon the enemies of God. Because at that point, they're no longer David's enemies, they're God's enemies. I see, that is a key for us because we often look at the imprecatory prayers and go, I'm supposed to do that to my enemies. No, you're to do it to God's enemies. There's a difference. It's a huge, huge difference. 
And in the midst of the tabernacle of David, then David, after he's prayed it, he's received the revelation, he's decreed it, then he would give the commands to the armies and they would manifest it. And see, a part of what we've missed is we've gotten to the place where we will pray and we will listen and we will get the prophetic decrees. We'll even decree them. What we've been missing is the go out and implement. We've not been listening far enough. We've not been waiting long enough to get the strategy out of the revelation on how do I manifest this thing. That's where we're going. That is where we're going. Because the manifestation has to flow out of the intercession. But at some time, some point, you got to put your feet on the ground and go out into the world to advance the kingdom. See, David went out based on the strategies of revelation and conquered the enemies of Israel and advanced Israel to the point it was to be, occupying the land, and then the land was at peace for 40 years. Come on. Do we need that right now or what? <laughs> See, David took the revelation, implemented the strategies in order to expand and secure the king's domain. We need to be expanding and securing the king's domain. That's yes. why we're here. Then let's fast forward to Solomon's temple. David has secured the land. The land's at peace. It's time for him to go to glory. Solomon is left to rule. David had wanted to build the temple and that would be a secure, permanent dwelling place. And God, first David thought he said yes, then it was like, really no, because you're a man of bloodshed. Okay, won't get into all of that. But David gathers the provision of everything that is necessary for Solomon to build a permanent dwelling place of the Lord. And then when it's built, and they go through this process, you can read this in 2 Chronicles 5, 6, 7, some of the most wonderful pictures you can see. The people come together without regard to division to worship and praise the Lord. And as they do, the Shekinah glory of the Lord comes into the building, and nobody can stand. See, all flesh had to go because when God gets a permanent dwelling, his glory comes. And when he has a permanent dwelling, flesh can't flourish there. I've often asked the Lord and prayed, God, what's it going to take for the Shekinah glory to come in? To our dwellings. So that no flesh can flourish. I believe that that is what God's after. That's what he's pursuing. He wants a people that are so undivided in their devotion to him. And in their obedience 
that we come together without regard to division. We just all come in doing what God told us to do in the context of the whole. Because see, what happened in 2 Chronicles is you had Gibeah, which is where the altar of sacrifice and, and all of the, the law was being fulfilled, which can represent the word of God, obedience to the word. See, we all have to be obedient to the word. It's not that you always have to have a word from the spirit of God in your spirit to know you've got to obey. The word of God says don't murder. You don't need a voice telling you not to murder, right? You don't need a voice of the Holy Spirit telling you not to steal or not to commit adultery. You don't need a voice of the Spirit of God telling you not to have other gods. It's there. But see, what happened at Solomon's temple is the representation of the word of the law, and don't think legalism, think the spirit of the law. Because God gave the Ten Commandments and all His commands, He gave as an expression of His great, great, great love for us because He knows that if we will follow His loves, think of them as loves, not laws, that if we will do that, then all will go well with our life. See, it's a different way of looking at it. Because if you're looking at it as rules and regulations... Who likes rules and regulations? I mean, seriously, who likes rules and regulations? Who likes to hear don't, 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 must, 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 have to, have to, have to? I don't. I mean, do you? But see, the Spirit of the Lord says, here's the Spirit of the law. And if you'll follow these, your life will flourish. So in Solomon's temple, we bring that along with the ark of his presence, the covenant, and you bring the two together, and you bring the people together, worshiping the Lord without regard to division, singing and praising and releasing the harp and the shouts and the, sh- and the trumpets and everything else, and the glory of God. <sighs> Word and spirit brings glory. Word and spirit. What would Jesus come looking for? He came looking for not worship, but worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he's looking for, for glory to fill the house. And he did. You see, the land was filled, it was peaceful, it was secure. But in the midst of this, God gives a prophetic word and says, as long as, as long as you follow my commands, as long as you follow me, as long as you obey me, as long as you do the things I've told you to do, then I'm going to dwell right here in your midst. And your land will flourish and all will be well. The same thing applies for us. Do we want a restoration of peace? Absolutely. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people. See, it's not the world. It's God's people. 
Humble themselves and pray. Seek his face. Turn from wicked ways. Then he will heal the land and forgive their sins. So we've got to live in covenant. And then we move on and it's Jesus who comes to dwell among us. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus was the word made flesh. He came and tabernacled. Do you hear that word? He came and tabernacled in the midst of God's people. Now, unfortunately, he was tabernacling among them, and most of them didn't recognize him. One of my grave concerns for the church at large right now is that Holy Spirit shows up, Jesus tabernacles among us, and we don't recognize him. That we could be like Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, that you would. Let us not be those that don't recognize his appearing, his coming in and through us. See, Jesus came demonstrating the dominion of heaven on earth in power over darkness. Think about the life of Jesus. Think about the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that he performed. He was bringing the dominion of the kingdom. And when he stepped in, demons screamed and he said, out. And they screamed, but they left. So let them scream. But they've got to go. See, we've got to get a hold of this because God's whole desire and his design is that he tabernacles in the midst of his people that the kingdom of darkness will have no authority. We've been trying, we've been batting at things, but we haven't understood that it's him tabernacling in us and us tabernacling in him, releasing a throne of glory that the enemy must respond to and flee. Jesus demonstrated it. He made the way through redemption so that we could be restored to original intent. For too many years, we've been having the gospel of salvation preached just to get people out of a place of going to hell and going to heaven when they die, rather than redeeming to the original intent, which was God said, I want a people on the earth to advance my kingdom. I want a people on the earth that move out of Eden and then go and take dominion over all of the earth so that the earth looks like heaven. See, we got to get out of this, just get people out to get them in there. Let's get there into here. That's what redemption's all about. See, and as redeemed ones, we now tabernacle in Christ. By faith, we tabernacle in Christ. Redeemed ones. Christ is dwelling in us, and we are abiding in him. Is that not just an absolutely wonderful thing? I mean, let that, I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. Christ, by the power of Holy Spirit, is in you. Now that's glorious enough. But then he says, 
but you're in me. And we are in God. Right? I'm tying some scriptures together. He's in us. We're in him. Then it says that we're in God with Christ. I mean, how? Get it. <laughs> I mean, what do we have to fear when we realize this? See, we've been fearing gnats. I, they're irritating. I'll, get, I'll grant you that. They're as irritating as the day is old. But they're gnats. Because Christ is in us, we're in Christ, and we together are in God. And not only that, he says, you're seated in heavenly places. Now, what does that mean? Now, I know we walk around here on the earth, but if, if we can grab it, that in the spirit, which is the reality of who we truly are, we're seated far above all principality, ruler, powers of darkness, all dominions. They're all under our feet. They have no access that y'all just let come on I want you to think about that they only have access that you give them right. <laughs> only have access you give them see we got to take back some access See, God had given Israel the promised land, right? But they had to go kick the enemy out of it. We need to start kicking the enemy out of some th places that they have had access in our homes, in our own lives, in our families, and look at them and go, wait a minute. I'm saved and my household saved. Therefore, devil, get your hands off my kids. You don't have right to them. The blood of Jesus is stronger than you. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Therefore, the devil that's trafficking around, say in Peachtree Corners, Norcross, Gwinnett County, DeKalb County, Fulton County, Forsyth, Cobb, Jackson, all these counties, the entire state. The devil that is trafficking around, causing havoc, can we please quit stopping and saying he has the authority? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. See, it's a shifting of our mindset. It's a shifting of our perspective. We've got to quit acting like victims. We're, you know, remember there was a song way back. This just flitted through my brain, so pardon me for a minute. Where we went through this whole thing. Little bitty devil, great big God. We've often been going, little bitty God, great big devil. Think about the way... You think about things and the words that come out of your mouth. God's dropping a plumb line on us. 
I'm going to mention this one. We're seated in heavenly places, but we're also hidden in God with Christ. If you're hidden with him, the devil can't do anything to you. But you've got to keep your place, your posture, your mindset secured in that. Because where the devil likes to get us is where we think. Because if we can come into an agreement with what he's saying, he just got access to us. If he can tell you you're not worth anything, guess what he just got access to? You. And as the church, if we go through and we buy the mentality, well, it's just destined to get worse and worse, and we're, you know, we're just going to have to go through it because the Antichrist, the great big old Antichrist, is going to torment us. No. He is nothing but a gnat. I'm fired up on that one. Finally, by faith in Christ, the ecclesia, the church, we are Zion. We are the mountain of the Lord. We are his governmental embassy. We are representing the kingdom on earth to bring the rule of the king into the place where we dwell, into the arena, the sphere that God has given us. We are to advance his kingdom. That means we're not afraid of the gates of hell. We don't look at them like they're advancing against us. We're pushing them back to advance and push them out of the way. They cannot stand against the cross and the blood of Jesus. We've been losing battles because we've been looking at it backwards. We've been looking as victims and defeated ones. And God's saying, would my people please stop? Rise up and believe who I tell you you are. And then I heard, <laughs> I used to meditate on this next verse all the time and had not thought about it in years. Just truth. And I was listening to a message out of New Jersey with Chuck Pierce, and he closed with this verse. And we're going to look, I'm going to go back into it at some point. I've got to go back in and study it some more, but I felt like the Lord wanted me to release it to over us today. Ezekiel 43 12. This is the law of the temple. We can say it this way. This is the law of the ecclesia. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. People of God, where we are is holy. Not just when we're here. Where you are when you're on your job is holy. When you get two or three on your job gathering together to pray, the law of the temple is established on the top of the mountain. Holy, separated, 
sanctified. What if we began acting that way? What if in all your places of where you're assigned in your day-to-day life, you see it as the place that's holy, divinely set apart for God's purposes as Zion to rule out of the top of the mountain. Declaring and decreeing what he wants. Declaring that corruption will no longer flourish. Decreeing that corruption is coming out of every arena of society. That suddenly it's going to get exposed. And it won't just be exposed, but it's going to be pulled out and destroyed in Jesus' name. See, God's wanting us to get this tabernacling thing is not just about a sweet, ooey-gooey feeling. It's about us being instruments in his hand, of being Zion, of being the ecclesia that, that says, hey, we're, we're serving a kingdom that's unlike every other kingdom. It's above every other kingdom. And God is shaking the kingdoms. They're getting shaken right now. All you have to do is flip the news on for about five minutes, then turn it off. It'll, it'll sanctify your soul. Just turn it off. But everything's getting shaken. Education's getting shaken. Business, government, families are getting shaken. Everything's getting shaken. So that what remains is of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of darkness. See, I believe today is an invitation to the tabernacle, to tabernacle with the Lord. And it's more than we've often realized. It's absolutely critical for the hour that we're living. And it's key to understand as we pass through the gate into the promises of the Lord. Pass through the gate into greater glory. I'm hungry for greater glory. So I want you to stand. I'm going to close with this decree. And then we will make our journey through the building. Feel free to ask questions and find out more about who we are. But today probably encapsulates a whole lot of what I believe we are to be. So read this with me. We decree that we are submitting to the purposes, plans, and prophetic destiny of the Lord to tabernacle with him in heavenly places that we might rule with him to advance his kingdom on earth and to bring forth the dominion of his kingdom in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit on earth as it is in heaven in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Now, Father, I bless your people to move forth, to go out, to rise up into their place as who they are 
is those who are hidden in Christ with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, enveloped in Christ, empowered to be who you called them to be, to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I bless your people and we celebrate your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.